Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Next up is David and my interview with former St. John's basketball coach, Lou Carnesecca. We just want to talk about your illustrious career at St. John's. Well, I was very fortunate to get the job. I was, as you know, I was assistant to Coach Lapchick. I went to school there. The first time I ever saw a St. John's team play was 1942. I still know the guys. You had Bill Koff, Gotkin, uh, the guy named, uh, Machete, Baxter, and of course, Fred Levain. And in those days, if you, you know, countless schools used to play the game in the afternoon. And they'd give you tickets to go see the game at night. And when I saw the guys come out with the big red uniforms and the big chief on their back, I fell in love with them. So then, you know, I went there as a student, 47, or should I say I attended, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I never played basketball, you know, at, uh, St. John's. I had the JV. I was a terrible player. I was a very good observer, you know. But, uh, Frank McGuire, Joe Lapsick, and all those people had a tremendous influence. And, you know, Coach McGuire would allow me attend all the practices, come into, uh, into at half time, and they'd send me, they'd send me up with a closed nest to scout. Not that he used it, but he just wanted to, you know, showed that he cared for what I was doing, and he really had an influence. But the one that really, really, and this is a true story, that got me involved with the coaching was my eighth grade teacher, Sister Mary Juella. Now, you know, I was born on the east side, Manhattan, east, east Harlem, and, you know, you think you're pretty smart and all that, and to get us off the big bed, she would talk about basketball, talk about football, talk about new rugby. So she really ignited a little flame there. And I, after that, I always wanted a coach. My dad wanted to be a doctor. But uh, our Lord, in his infinite wisdom, knew that I had, of course, more depth than the Bavonic played. So he let me go coaching. What, sister had to be tougher than a lot of the coaches you coached under. <laughs> no, I, I tell you, I had some very good teachers. I mean, and of course we had Brooke Freeman, who coached the one to five way back in the late uh, 20s, early. It was a great genius, really. A wonderful teacher. So we had guys that you could emulate as far as that. That knew the game. And you just listen just to be in their company. It was a great, great, uh, you know, experience. And of course, coach high school, Sydney's Academy. Of course, they loved, loved basketball. And I went into the service for years, World War II, and, uh, came out with the same job and got involved in coaching. I was a better, I was a better baseball player. Yeah, I could hit what I couldn't field. But, uh, I got involved with coaching and spent most of my entire life coaching. How hard was it replacing Coach Lapchuk? Well, let me say, first of all, I was very really lucky 
thank God that I had been his assistant for eight years. So the transition was not that great. Plus, you know, we follow the same routine, pretty much the same philosophy. And the transition was not that difficult. Uh, of course, we had to have players. And that was the big thing. We always got our share of the Metropolitan players. So we were lucky in that respect. But under Coach Lassick, uh I learned so much, really, aside from basketball. He was really one of the great, great, great saints of, uh, of, of basketball. The man spent 50 years professional and collegiate. Two, two terms at the St. John's. So I was very lucky to learn on him. Did you go after a, a kid who went to Power Memorial by the name of Lou Alcindor? You're talking about the big uh, Jabal Alcindor? To be honest with you, we never had a shot at him. See, I had a good friend, a good player of mine named Sonny Dove. And him and, and Jabal were, were jazz buffs. And I remember, now this is junior year, he says, Coach, I think he's going to go out of town. If he stays in New York, I think maybe St. John's has a shot. But he was already gone as a junior. What was Frank McGuire like as a coach? Frank, wonderful. He could have been mayor of New York. You know, he knew how to handle people. And he had, of course, he had a wonderful assistant in Buck Freeman. It was great. And, uh, and he was an excellent recruiter. Again, mostly Metropolitan boys, you know, and uh, he was excellent. And uh, very much in the philosophy of Buck Freeman, you know, and I remember uh, him saying to me, you know, man, this is, you've got the philosophy. How do you look without the ball? Which is true. If you don't have the ball, you can't play. So the, the ball is gold. Take good care of it. Don't throw it around. Don't waste it. Take good care of it. And that was part of my philosophy all the way through. What prompted you to leave St. John's to coach the New York Nets of the American Basketball Association? Well, that's my um, <laughs> that's my purgatorial period. <laughs> I tell you, it was a great experience. I don't know if I was ready. I'm not talking about X's and O's. I'm talking about the life of a professional basketball player, the business itself. I honestly believe that if I could have spent a couple of years as a, an assistant, I think it, I would have felt more at home. And don't forget, we went to the finals, but also in the the final game, the final games. So we had some success when I had Rick Barry. Uh, Rick was a Rick was a great, great player. I mean, people never fully appreciate how good a player he was. When he stepped on the court, everybody became better. You know, I mean, I'd shoot. you follow me, shoot on the hand those fouls. Just a, yeah. a great, great, great player. Hey, he won the championship in the ABA. I won the championship in the NBA. Not bad. No, not bad at all. The one knock on him was, though, he was kind of like a ball hog. Did you feel that way? No, 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 no. That's untrue. If you were open, you got the ball. 
If you're in a better position, you got the ball. That's what made him so good. See, everybody worried about him. Wacko. They find the open man. Look, he really perfected the pick and roll. Of course, he had done that in the NBA. But with us, he really, really had it going beautifully. No, no. There's no, I would say, it was a team player. A good one, too. What was the major difference between coaching college and coaching in the ABA? A million dollars. <laughs> when I was coaching, okay. I don't want to be facetious. It's a big difference. It's a night and day. The number of games you play, handling the various types of uh, personalities, yeah, the games, uh, the travel. It's uh, very difficult, you know. And the games are so often. And it's very difficult to prepare for your team because you're playing sometimes night after night. You see, you don't have a chance to maybe prepare enough or even teach. You know, you're teaching done in the first two or three weeks of, of, of training. It's very difficult. You better get good players. That's important. Because you want to play. What made you decide to go back to St. John's in 73? Because I felt more comfortable. When yes. the opportunity came and I was asked, I went back. And I was very happy to go back. My personality, for my makeup, I think I felt more at home in a collegiate setting. How hard was it to recruit players at St. John's? We got mostly guys from New York City. Matter of fact, you took the subway, you were right there. You didn't have to take a plane. Most of the guys came from the local high schools. Long Island, Jersey, sometimes Connecticut, but basically the five boroughs. You know, why should we go out of town? Well, we had so many fine players in the area. So we did most of our recruiting there. Now I think today maybe you have to expand, you know, your sights. Because there's great players all over. And probably TV has done that. Well, you, you did recruit Canada pretty well because you got one of the, the greatest players in Canadian basketball history. He'll tell you that. Bill Wennington. How did you Bill get Bill Wennington? Wennington to? Yes, sir. Well, Billy was at Long Island. He went to Long Island, Wilson. So he knew St. John's. He knew the guys that were going there. He felt at home. And, you know, playing the Madison Square Garden, the schedule we played, wind up playing in the Big East. I mean, it worked out very well for him. The team I remember is your team in the mid-80s. He's working, right? He's still, he's calling Bulls games to this day. Well, he got there in the the 80s. Four years. Played with uh, Chris Mullen and all those guys. Walter Berry, Mark Jackson. I mean, that's a good group. I remember watching that team, rooting for him in the 85. Excellent player. Oh, I mean, that team went to 85. In 85, you had a loaded team, like you said. Mark Jackson, you had Chris Mullen, Walter Berry, yeah, Weddington. We went to the finals. Before we went to the, to the finals, the final four. We got beat by, by Georgetown, Patrick Ewing gang. How hard was it to go up against that Georgetown team? Well, you know, he was so big. That it was difficult. He just couldn't put one guy on him. 
you know, for two or three guys, and that may be the guy's better. Let them open. Because he's got a hatful. And, you know, he did it also defensively. He could block shots. I mean, it was tough to play against them. After you guys lost to Georgetown in the, the semifinals, did you think Villanova had a shot against them? To be honest with you, no. But they played the perfect game. And really, and Georgetown wasn't as good as they usually are. But Georgetown, I mean, Villanova executed perfectly, made their shots, they controlled the ball. As we say, they took the air out of the ball. And they didn't do the ball that much, but they shot well close to 60, 70%. It was a great game, great, great game. I mean, you know, they played a perfect game. Yeah. I remember watching it. It was just amazing. How did the sweaters start? Well, that's a, I guess I've told that story a thousand times. The Italian coach came over, who was the national coach of the women's team. He came to visit, and as you know, we usually exchange gifts. So he said, look, here, take these. He gave me two sweaters. So I threw them there. I went home that night. And I threw it in the closet. I gave the flu, so I'm home sick for a week. So now we have to go out and play Pittsburgh. So Larry says, look, those gyms are pretty drafty. Make sure you get a sweater. So I go into the closet, and then I look at, grab this thing, throw it into my traveling bag, and then when I get to Pittsburgh, ready for the game, I put this thing on. And all the kids are saying, Coach, where'd you get that ugly thing? It was really ugly. <laughs> but Chris Mullen hit the jump shot at the end, and after that, I had to wear it all the whole time. Was Chris Mullen the best player you ever coached in college? Well, in professional ball, Rick Barry. In collegiate ball, yes. Chris Mullen, he was. What made really Chris a so basketball. I loved basketball. Really, uh, knew the game, studied the game, and he practiced too. Nothing happened by accident with him. Did you ever offer fashion advice to Bobby Knight about his sweaters? His sweaters couldn't compare with mine. (laughs) Mine were different. (laughs) And by the way, I got sweaters from all of them. I got it from Columbia, South America, from Ireland, from Italy. Oh, it was craziest thing. I'd go out and give a speech, and they'd give me a sweater. Gee, well, that's really nice. That's what I need. <laughs> I, got, I got over 100 sweaters. It was crazy. But it was a good, it was a fun thing. Who was the toughest coach you went up against? Uh, quite a few. Uh, really, I mean, I refer against everything, but if they had the players, I mean, you had great coaches like Dean Smith, I mean, John Thompson, Rowley, I mean, Bobby Knight, I mean, great, great coaches. I mean, you can't, you know, the guys you fight against. I mean, uh, Jimmy, up at Connecticut, you know, we had great, and you had also the guy that, you know, some of these guys were, were innovators, like Dean Smith. He was a great innovator. And so was Fatino. They changed the, the game. 
Is there any player that got away from you that you wish you would have signed? Oh, there's a lot of them. So many. I can't even remember. Hey, what we got out here? There were some many, many. Close to bar, but we never had them. Jimmy McMillan, great players. You were at the the Duke-St. John's game when Mike Krzyzewski won his thousandth game. Can you imagine what it's... You won 526, which was pretty good. Well, he's got a thousand games. I said, for God's sake, leave something. <laughs> that was a fun thing, you know. There's a coach. I mean, I forgot to mention him. Great coach. He never beat himself. You have to beat him. He doesn't beat himself. What do you think of the game now where it's a lot of one and done with these players? Do you think this is good for the game or bad? Well, it's a business. I mean, uh, is it good? No. But it's a business. It's good for the guys that want to go who make it. You know, you can't stop kids from making a living. I, uh, you know, that's what it is. It's changed completely. The different game. We had the guys for four years. They really knew the kid. But uh, the one and then, he's just there to play a tune, and he's going to be on his way. Yeah, you know, once upon a time, a player could establish himself in college. Of course it could. Now, he's just there, uh, you know, he's gone. And it, it changes the game an awful lot. The continuity, the togetherness, and many, many, many factors. How did you know when it was time to call it a career? I knew it. You know, the patient was gone. It just wasn't there where, where I was always a maniac. I felt it coming. Like last year, you know, time to go. You know, and I, I think it was the right thing to do. Well, you've had some time to rest. Any chance on a comeback? Comeback? <laughs> no, I would never come back. Once <laughs> I put it down at St. John's, I would never. What do you think of the job that Steve Lavin has done uh with the Red Storm. Well, I think it's a marvelous, marvelous job of crew. He's got some great players. But as we said before, people people don't want to stay, you know. They want to go to the pros. So it's, it makes it difficult. I think under the circumstances, he's gone to the tournaments. I think he's done a good job, considering. You know, when he got there, it wasn't there too much. Is it hard for you to call him the Red Storm? I still want to call him the Red Men to this day. Well, you know, the big thing is this. If you are offending someone, I think that's not right. So I think, even though, uh, you know, with a red storm, that's tough for me to understand that. But it's, um, but uh, I think the school did the right thing. And as you see, it's a national thing. Not that we did anything to offend, but in some areas, people thought that. And we were many, many years the Redmen. But the big thing, we were not the Redmen because of the American Indians. We wore red uniforms, and that's where it came from. What was it like when you were uh, elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame? 
great feeling. Wonderful feeling. You know, to be included with some of the great guys and uh, just wonderful. Really great feeling. It's, it's something special. That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TogZone.com. Hope you enjoyed the interviews that David and I had with former Los Angeles Dodger, Chicago Cub third baseman Ron Say, and former St. John's basketball coach Lou Carnesecca. We would like to thank them and also our executive producer Dave Olson. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Mm-hmm.